Hello and welcome to this NLive's Open for Business podcast platform. My name is Adrian Price, the guy from the university, as I keep saying, with the perfect face for radio. And I host a show every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. called Open for Business. Open for Business celebrates the very best of business in Northampton and Northamptonshire and brings together business, civic, charity and indeed academic leaders to talk about the business environment, to talk about initiatives and projects, especially where, they're, where they are all working together for the good of the community. So enjoy these extended interviews on this podcast. They're now set up as a standalone for you to savour and uh, to learn from some of the movers and shakers in the county. Enjoy. So listeners will know that the uh, registration is very closely linked to the university, and that is indeed where I um, my day job is. And I'm delighted to welcome now the Vice Chancellor and Chief Executive Officer of the University, uh, the boss, Professor Nick Petford. Nick, welcome to the show uh, again. You've been on before. Um, it must have been, you'd be glad to see the back of this year, perhaps an interesting term, an interesting year for you, no? Well, for all of us, Adrian, yeah. Hello, thanks for inviting me on the show. It's been uh, difficult, challenging, um, rewarding in, at some level, actually. Uh, but uh, what, a, what a strange year. I mean, if we were having this discussion 12 months ago, Adrian, we'd be talking about, you know, new ventures across overseas and into India and China and all the rest of it. Of course, all that has been massively put on ice. Um, we've had to uh, uh, retract in and think very carefully about how we do teaching and learning uh, through a pandemic, a global pandemic. But the good news is, and I think you'll agree, hopefully listeners, that we're, we seem to be on the cusp of emerging out of this. And I think the new vaccine and the excitement around that will allow us to return to some level of normality. Uh, at the university by spring next year by spring i mean by spring most of our usual traditional teaching is over so really i suppose normality for us might be in september now with the intake in september or it could be i mean don't forget we do have more than one entry point across the year so uh, we get a lot of nhs students coming in in april we have international students coming at different times of the year as well so the days when everybody's turned up in september or october uh, are gone you know the majority do but we still have significant and substantial entry points across the year. So some of those students coming in later in the spring will definitely benefit from a different kind of, of experience, not the COVID one that we've been used to uh, since March. How do you think we've done compared to the other universities across the country? Difficult to say, really. I mean, I do have an opinion, uh, which is that we have um, we, we've done better um, than, 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 than perhaps some other universities. Uh, that sounds unfair and th the reason I will say that is because I think our advantage here if you like our, our kind of superpower in all of this is the the new estate the water side has been much easier to manage manage students on one campus can you imagine what it must be like if you've got 20 of these spread across a city like Manchester you know it would have been very difficult very much more technically challenging situation we've got a much smaller more compact area and a lot of our students live on on site as well that gives us a fair degree of control um, and of course, we have the active blending learning model that we developed prior to COVID, where we made some important steps towards blending online and face to face. And so I think for those reasons, we've been able to manage the situation perhaps a bit better than some of our other university colleagues. Mm. What, with the, um, you know, the year looking back, I've had a lot of people on this show saying that it's been quite, what's the word, eye opening to see the innovation and the energy and, you know, trusting their people to work from home how much the, the colleagues and staff have responded. What have been the highlights for you with your management team over the last few months? Well, we took a, an interesting approach to this, Adrian. I mean, you, there, there, there's no, you know, we've never faced a global pandemic before as a university or as a, or as a, a country in living memory. So 
and there, there are there are kind of if you like textbook examples. And I think when the, when when the, whoever it is, maybe your colleagues in the business school come to write up, you know, the management response across different sectors to this, it's going to be a fan fascinating literature base that's that's created. What we didn't do, uh, and what others have done, and I think it was the right decision, is to go for the gold, silver, bronze structure of, of if you like, um, disaster management. Um, we did something different. So we went for what we call a network of teams, which is a much more agile um, grouping where uh, key individuals, Becky, Catherine, and others, uh, Sean Ware and Cross University, um, had total authority to develop solutions that work best for them without needing to report up and down a chain through the sort of traffic light system of gold, silver, bronze. Um, I think that allowed us to, to move much more quickly, much more swiftly, gave people their heads and it put in charge the people who knew what would work. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean me. Um, you know, I have the overall, I will carry the can ultimately as a chief exec for things that go wrong. But it doesn't mean I'm always best positioned to make the right decision at the right time. And so I think trusting the teams to get on with it um, and have ultimate responsibility and authority to do the right thing has worked well for us. Well, that word trust, I'm hearing a lot, right? And I'm reading a lot about it. I think you've just hit on a great research uh, project there, by the way. So I've made a note of that uh, to look at management, but um, the, the, the trust thing. So do you see you know, that approach replicated across the contacts that you have in the public, private and third sector? I do. And it's interesting. It's um, the, I've always been a big, personally, a big fan of, of working from home. Um, uh, I think that probably stems from when I was a, an active researcher. So uh, uh, for the, imagine the first five or eight years at university, when I was contractually obliged, Adrian, to teach five hours a year. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> oh no, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> dear Santa, can I have exactly. a contract? Yeah, it, it's a great one, yeah. And, um, and so, so I would be working all around the world in different places out in the field, in different countries, all online, or either not online necessarily, but certainly with a laptop um, away from an office. So that is my preferred style. Um, uh, and I, I, I take to it like a duck to water. What I've learned, though, is, is to be a bit careful because not everybody likes it. So um, he, there's a good friend of mine who works at, uh, uh, well, I'll say Vodafone, um, and they've shut their central London office since March. They've not been allowed in. And, you know, some of the, the staff there are absolutely at their wits end. They're just missing the, the, the human company. They're missing the, 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 the office environment, etc. So just assuming that it's a great thing for everybody is, is the wrong way to approach this and you can end up upsetting people there was somebody at the university the other day I was talking to and um, it was clear that they were quite unhappy that so much work that of their work was being done from home and they really relished and were looking was looking forward to going back to the office environment so I think it's um it's it's a difficult one for all of us really my preference uh, and my preference for for all of our staff should they wish is to work as best they can from home uh, and, and 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 be accountable for output um, not for um, untrustworthiness around input, if that makes sort of yeah. sense. Time, time um, managing the clock rather than managing yeah, the it, outputs, the deliverables. It, exactly, yeah. But I do appreciate it's not for everyone. Well, it's, yeah, that is really an interesting question because I think there's a lot of people, depending on your home circumstances, if you've got screaming kids running around, you know, not enough space to sort of um, to find that peace and quiet to work, I can understand. And, and I think it's probably let's say half and half, right? Half have loved it and half perhaps have been yeah. challenged yeah. by it. But do you yeah. think we will go back to the you know five days a week office or do you think this change is now sort of here to stay yeah i mean it's a, a you, you, i mean i who knows 
<laughs> it's a question we're all asking ourselves. I mean, if you look at if, you, if on one uh, one level, I do hope substantial parts of, of society go back to the the office model. Not maybe not five days a week and the relentless commuting that none of us really like. But, but otherwise, what will happen to our towns and cities? Mm. Now, they'll just become ghost towns. It'd be dreadful. I mean, all of, all of the real estate, everything that's tied up, all of the pension funds linked to to building. I mean, we we would suffer immensely, I think, if the world turned its back on on the office per se. Yeah. But I think uh, what I'm what I hope would happen is some kind of hybrid model will emerge whereby um, the, the the more relentless daily commutes won't need to take place so often. Um, much more work can be done from a home environment. Um, and finding some way to blend those two worlds together into a into a new future. I don't think it's it's, it's, all, it's not all at home. It's not all at office. It will be some combination thereof. Yeah, you're seeing and reading stuff about you know people going in one or two days a week just to uh, for that socialization for that connection. Um, but you say that towns and cities might suffer. City centres probably will. You know, yeah. the leveling up it might actually help lots of towns. Um, you know, outside of the big cities. But the only thing is, there's going to be a, a structural change, isn't there, and a cost for the next, if it takes five years to get to that rebalanced economy, there will be some pain in the short run. That's what I think government has to start thinking about, rather yeah. than insisting we all go back, you know, to the commute. I, but uh, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, so just to be clear, it, was, it is city centres that I'm talking about. And um, uh, those, those that have, uh, you know, the city of London, the obvious example, isn't it? You know, yeah. It's predicated on office space, Canary Wharf, etc. I mean, people, there's opportunity for people maybe to reclaim the cities, to move back in, into city centres and live uh, in communities that have been effectively sort of forced out, perhaps, uh, maybe that's too strong a word, forced out. But you know what I mean? With yes. the office culture, you know, communities have been pushed, chased out perhaps to the margins. Yeah. So that, that could be an interesting thing. But how would it, it's not just the UK, it's the world, isn't it? What happens to Hong Kong? What happens to Shanghai, Singapore, et cetera, New York? It's, it's not a problem that just the UK alone will be facing. No, indeed. Urbanization uh, going into reverse question mark, I guess. Um, so they do say uh, never waste a good crisis. So, you know, lots of good has come out of the crisis by um, having to. But let's just look at the staff and the students for a second. What's, you know, finger on the pulse. Where do you think generally then the staff morale is and more importantly, perhaps the student morale? How have they coped? Well, I think they're, they're both equally as important because of the unhappy staff. They're not going to put their best efforts into to teaching students. And I think it's probably mixed, um, you know, uh, and where I have my insight into this is actually through my our youngest daughter, who's actually at university uh, at the moment. And of course, I've been been having interesting discussions with her about how that university has dealt with the, the whole COVID incident. Um, so that does allow me some level of benchmark, not just her, her friends as well at different universities. So um, I, I guess just to, before I answer that question more fully, to put some sort of flesh around the evidence space for why I think we've done perhaps better than others at University of Northampton. It's through speaking to other students at different universities and comparing their experiences to ours. Um, so what have we done? Well, we, I think we did absolutely the right thing, which was to maintain a level of face-to-face -face teaching, not go exclusively online. That has been, um, I think, by and large well received by by most of the staff, although there are exceptions, people think that was the wrong thing, perhaps it was uh, too risky, um, but it's been absolutely received well by the students uh, and the evidence base for that is talking to the student union at the University of Northampton, they've done some surveys and by and large the students are overwhelmingly in support of the approach that we took, so that's good. Um, I was over at the, uh, the um, uh, not the creative hub, um, the other day uh, and walking around there, actually before the last lockdown, actually. Um, 
great to see our students out there working in a really responsible, socially distanced way in fine art, in music. Um, there was a good vibe going on there. Students were coming in also in a tannery, Adrian. We've got still students working there. These practical subjects, they need face to face. Um, uh, and the staff are putting in the effort to make sure that that happens. So I think morale in those areas has been very, very good. I think where there might be a, a disconnect is in the areas where it might be far more easy to have gone 100% online. Perhaps some in, in the faculty business and law, for instance, the, uh, those, those areas mm. where the, the practical element isn't so essential. Um, there's been some disquiet uh, in, at some, from some individuals about how we've, we've managed the situation. But I think on balance, on average, we've got it right. Yeah, no, indeed. And I, you know, I think the students are um, accepting. I've certainly uh, once a week checked in, you know, how are you feeling, the mental well-being, really, and given them the chance to kind of go offline, one-to-one -one emails, whatever, if there are any concerns. And every so often, of course, somebody does admit, you know, I'm, I'm not coping particularly well. So then signposting them to all the help and support. And we offer an awful lot of help and support, don't we, Nick, on the pastoral side as well as on the academic side. So um, um, let's hope that, you know, the, they also share with us the optimism for next year with the vaccine coming, that things can soon return back uh, to normal. So, I agree. Sorry, Adrian, just, just to prefer, I just want to take my hat off to all those staff, especially, well, everybody really has played a fantastic role. Even those who aren't so happy with how it's panned out have still done a brilliant job. Um, uh, academics, the mental health folk who have really pulled out all the stops, and in particular the estate staff, in the amount of work that just goes in, for example, setting up the new testing centre. Mm. It's astonishing what we've been able to do and what we've been able to achieve as a university. And it's all down to the hard work of individuals who work for us. So I'm immensely proud of all of them. And... Um, uh, it, it's what's what's on my mind now and the, the governing body's mind is, you know, within this rather difficult um, fiscal constraint that we have, what is the most appropriate way to to say thank you um, once we're through all of this? And uh, that's something which we'll be focusing on in the new year. That sounds like good news, but you have, we can share that you have um, given extra holidays to all the staff, right? As a, as a first gesture for Christmas. That's right. We can do much more. Well, <laughs> be careful what I say for the head of HR stamping all over them. We can, there are more things we can do and we would like innovative ideas, I think, at some stage about what goes down well. Because the last thing you want to do is be patronising, isn't it? So a nice pat on the head, all done very, very well. Whatever we do it has to be meaningful um, and bluntly. At this point in time, that meaningfulness won't necessarily translate into a, a significant pay rise, um, mm. which is the hard thing. Uh, I, I get that. I understand that. So what in addition can we do that says thank you, um, but allows us to maintain the financial sustainability that we need right now uh, over the next 12 or so months? Yeah, no, indeed. Um, just talk about the um, the testing centre and all that. In terms of the impact, we've had very low impact of COVID among staff and students. Is that correct? So, sorry, Adrian, can you say that again? I lost the, lost the connection. Incidents of COVID among staff and students. We've not been very badly hit from what I understand. No, we haven't. We, do, we don't do a cumulative tally, but uh, we, we report in the Unified magazine every week. So I think overall incidents is, is handfuls a week. Um, and I think the latest information on the testing uh, that, that was rolled out on Monday this week, uh, close to 2000 students will have gone through. And again, a handful, maybe less than 20 cases have been identified, uh, which is in itself interesting, isn't it? Because I think the assumption was that it was sort of rife, um, COVID, through, through certain parts of the student community uh, in an asymptomatic way. And we're not picking it up. Mm. Doesn't seem to be there. 
Oh, well, thankfully, indeed. Um, Nick, you, Chief Executive Officer, Vice Chancellor, just give us a sort of potted history of how you get to, to that position. Well, it's a strange title, isn't it? Vice Chancellor. What on earth does it even mean? I, I was trying to explain this to somebody the other day, actually, and said, well, a lot of these titles that they have at universities, Dean as well as another one, I think they have their roots in the ecclesiastical times. I think when universities, perhaps in the Middle Ages, were more associate with the church and um, theocracies etc i think that's where these 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 words come from i mean a vice chancellor as a chief executive officer that is my title um is a it is my title i've been accused sometimes of being overtly pompous by calling <laughs> myself a chief executive officer but i can assure you listeners when i signed my contract university it was vice chancellor and ceo of university of northampton why is that well the governance um, structure, the, the legal status of the University of Northampton is, is a higher education corporation and by law they have to have a chief executive officer and vice chancellor so that is where that title comes from. How do you get there? Well blimey that's uh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean just very briefly, very briefly um, and I think this is uh, quite well rehearsed now but I left school at, um, at 16 and with scant qualifications, uh, started out as an engineer in refrigeration um, uh, couldn't find substantial work in that and ended up um, a whole succession of retail jobs effectively until I started, until I went back to, to college in 1983 and I did an access course. So I was one of the sort of vanguard of the widening participation back to university second chance um, initiatives that are being set up then. Um, did geology at university uh, and really that was my sort of career trajectory into into universities into research and ultimately into the management side mm. wow well i think that's a tremendous um example of you know you don't have to go through the traditional route to come to university when you're 18 right there and i'm saying every week to the listeners if anybody thinks that we can help in any way either the companies or for your own personal development it's never too late to start and get on that education ladder uh, absolutely right and that, that 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 my own personal sort of lived experience has, has, has you know quite markedly colored my view of higher education as a provider for employability and skills now i don't appreciate that not all of my academic colleagues see it that way i do because that's been my background in i mean the reason i went to university was to get a, a higher paid job than i would have got otherwise it was simple as that it was utilitarian it was pragmatic um mm. it was practically based um once I got to university, of course, I realised that they do all these wonderful things, they do these fantastic, they do research, they do all sorts of wonderful things that enhance society, etc., in ways that just getting a high paid job at the end of it uh, doesn't. However, at my heart, at my root, uh, university, in my personal journey, was all about employability. So your specialty area is geology and volcanoes, right? That's right, yeah, geology mostly. Um, the volcano stuff happened kind of by accident. There's a, there's a special interest group. I mean, just to, well, it, on the technical side of it, my, my, my re research is primarily concerned with a combination of, of uh, an area of physics called fluid dynamics, which is how um, particles move and flow, um, uh, combined with aspects of, of physical chemistry. So it's quite science-based, uh, my research, um, and heavily mathematical. Um, but volcanoes are uh, an exotic part of that. Um, they're beautiful things. They've got nice cone shapes and people walk up top and you can see a long way and all the rest of it. Um, people sometimes ask me, because I do volcanoes, what they're called. Well, I don't know. I know about half a dozen names of volcanoes. I'm not an expert on or how high they are, like a top trumps thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I really got into the volcano side of it when I became um, chairman of something called the, the Volcanic 
studies group of the Geological Society of London. So the Geological Society of London is the, the professional network. It has special interest groups. There's one in oil, there's coal, there's um, mining, uh, civil engineering, uh, dinosaurs. There's one for volcanoes. And I became the chair of that, Adrian, um, back in the late 1990s, just as Mount Etna was erupting. Um, and I guess journalists being journalists must have gone through some data list, seen my name as being chair of this group and thought I knew everything I could ever know about volcanoes. Uh, and that's kind of that's how the PR myth of volcanology started. And you, but you do get called upon by the BBC and uh, media quite a lot to comment, right, on as a specialist in this area. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not I'm sort of slightly playing, putting myself down here slightly, but, uh, but I, I would not consider myself um, as a, a, a true expert in volcanoes and volcanology. I know the people that are and they know tons more about them than me. Again, with the media, it's a bit like being with students, isn't it? As long as you're sort of a few steps ahead at any one time and you are, uh, quote unquote, the expert. Don't give away all my trade secrets here. <laughs> Please. Indeed. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's all coming out now, isn't it? Yeah, honestly, this radio lark, you've got to be very careful. But, uh, so, you, you know, we're the only university in the county. Nick, you've moved from your specialty area. You, must, you have to do a lot of management, but also you do a great deal for the university as an ambassador out in the community. So just give us a little flavour th for the sort of... Um, corporate and community engagements and the things that you get involved with and you know the interaction we have with public private and third sector bodies around the town and county i think being a the only university in an english county is is a is a is a responsibility for us to make sure that we do all of those things that that you do supremely well adrian as well i mean i'll know that you, you know i know the work that you do for as a dl and with the high sheriffs etc all of that is part and parcel of what a university must be doing in relation to, to, to its community, you know, developing new ways of thinking about things, solving problems, as much as it is training the next generation of, of nurses or paramedics. So that, that link to the community, um, as the only university in the county, even if we weren't, we'd still have that link. But I think it gives us a special privilege, a special place um, to work across Northamptonshire. Uh, and I'm very, very keen that we keep on doing even more in that particular area. And then one example that, uh, that I, I could use in how I've been involved is to do with the, the health and wellbeing boards. So each, uh, there's, across, across England, um, there are these things, they're called health and wellbeing boards. They were set up uh, around about uh, 2012, 2013, to, to help um, bring together a more strategic view of the healthcare economy involving the, 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 the NHS trust, the commissioning groups, uh, children's services, etc. sometimes even fire and police. So I chair the Northamptonshire one um, on behalf of the University of Northampton. Um, and that's a really great thing to be able to do because it, not only does it allow me to understand a bit better how the, that side of the economy is working, um, it allows us to look for opportunities for university, whether it's research, whether it's teaching, whether it's placements, et cetera, because of the network that that, um, that, uh, that grouping allows me to, to explore. Yeah, no, playing a, a vital part there. So looking forward to the next year, um, initially we've now heard the government wants us to stagger over five, I couldn't believe it, over five weeks, the return to university. So what are your thoughts on that and how are we going to handle the return in January? Yeah, it's the, the, the information has just come out recently. Um, the first thing I'll say is that it's guidance only. So what that means is that if we at University of Northampton decide that we want to do it differently or do it bluntly better than has been proposed, uh, then we will. So we're working through right now what uh, a staggered return will mean for us as a university. And we'll be able to let staff and let students know 
as soon as possible. And it gets back to our early discussion, doesn't it, about the importance of the network of teams and the experts involved in those teams, leading those teams, coming to the right decisions that work for us, not for the government necessarily. Mm. Well, I know you've been on national radio and radio, Jeremy Vine recently as well. You know, without getting overly political at all, what do you think, though, about government policy? Have It's been a difficult year, right? Who could know? you say we're handling a pandemic for the first time in centuries but overall looking back on the 12 months do you think that the government policy has been good have we you know have we done some things right some things wrong what's what would be your view sort of summing up i think my view well my view is it's mixed really um i mean if you're if you're a critic of the government and then you've got you know it's it's sort of open season isn't it really um if you're a defender then you'll pick those bits where they appear to have done better than they might have done otherwise um my overall view on this, Adrian, is that, uh, you know, it, this is a lose-lose situation, isn't it? No one's winning in this. Yeah. You know, um, people are dying because we have a deadly disease, uh, which we didn't have in the uh, 12 months ago. Um, and the government have to make decisions that are also causing immense impact on the economy, uh, on jobs, on the mental health of people who are um, in lockdown. So who would ever want this who would ever wish for this and i what what i find personally quite um uh, frustrating sometimes is the way that the sometimes it's the reporting sometimes it's the the month throwing um and the yard boo suck stuff that if we'd done it this way it would have been better well yeah. of course hindsight is a great thing isn't it and this isn't just the uk it's around the world and um you know, some of the benchmarking that has been put in place, numbers of deaths, uh, et cetera, you know, relentlessly turned out on television every night. I don't think that sort of reporting helps personally. Um, I don't know if it's the same in other countries around the world, um, but a kind of like a league table of deaths. It's morbid. Um, and I, I, I find it actually quite frustrating at times, the way that the reporting has been done. Yeah, it's quite negative. And it's interesting that we live in a liberal you know, society so uh, uh, what's the word? Trusting people's common sense to do the right thing. You know, that balance between, look, you, it's diktat, you must do this, China or other countries, and our trying to maintain, you know, freedoms. Um, but it is a fine balance. And, you know, Boris Johnson, he must be ruining the day that he ever aspired to be prime minister because he's had an awful lot land on his desk, one has to say, in the last 12 months. It has been difficult. I mean, where I would be more critical is... Um, Bit closer to home, uh, some of the departmental advice that we've received um, is is just feels as if it's been rushed through too quickly. Um, mm. And also, it's well behind the times. I mean, we as the University of Northampton, we we'd put in place provision for this back in the late summer, and we were only being advised to do things that we'd done three or four months ago, sort of last weekend. So halfway through, I don't know, strictly come dancing. I get an email from someone at the DFE says, have you done X, Y, or Z? And you think, for heaven's sake, A, why are you sending this email now? Right. You know, and then, yes, we have done it. And so um, there is some frustration there as well, I think, with respect to the lags, the time lags between us being action-orientated and doing things, mm. and then four or five months down the line, almost as an afterthought, oh, have you thought about that? Yes, we have. That's why I'm slightly sceptical, Adrian, about the, uh, the, the advice for the start of term in January. That's why I'm convinced we'll do our own thing, what's best for us, uh, and stick to that. Okay. Uh, looking beyond then the crisis, so let's hope we get back to some degree of normality, no matter how much there's been a structural change. Um, hopes and aspirations for the university, Nick, over the next sort of two to five, two to ten years, if you wish. 
Well, we've, we've set ourselves a new vision, which I think is, is very important for, for the university. And it's a sort of gravitational pull um, out towards uh, the future. And it's this idea of being a world leader in social innovation. So it's building on what we've done around social enterprise and then social impact. Um, and how we then, how the faculties of the university move us towards that agenda uh, is going to be really important and really exciting. Uh, I think it, it, there's, there's research opportunities, there's enterprise opportunities, and there's um, new course development and teaching opportunities. In particular, I think how we align our social impact, social innovation uh, mission with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, is an important area of work that we can focus on and that will provide extra clarity. I know that the people looking at the REF submission the one coming up next towards the end of this uh, end of this decade we'll be looking at impact case studies based around our contributions towards the uh, the sdgs yeah. uh, and i think that provides a really interesting framework for us to look at they're broad ranging we'll only focus on half a dozen of them perhaps the ones that suit us best and they'll be flavored by by faculty and by um, research center etc but the, the way that that can then feed back into the teaching uh, and in particular um, what I'm looking for is, is more of the sort of bite-sized approach. So how can we use the digital IP that we've got? How can we use digital delivery models to unbundle? And what I mean by that is take a three-year undergraduate course, break it up into smaller components, and then sell that on as discrete pieces of learning um, as a separate business model to the core university three-year undergraduate model. We're going to be looking at that in some real detail over the, over the coming months and years. The other, thing, of course, is, the other thing I mean, just relates to, to what's happening in the patch is that we have a unitary Adrian, don't we, starting on the 1st of April yep. 2021. So um, the districts and boroughs uh, merge into uh, two sides of Northamptonshire, uh, north and the west. So it's important the university keeps um, its strong links with the chief executives of those two unitaries uh, and work with them uh, on, on, on developing a whole raft of initiatives that might be useful in, the, in, in FBL. I'm focusing on FBL agent because she worked there. But the tourism industry, for instance, in Northamptonshire, um, and the events industry has taken a real hammering, hasn't it? So how can we make sure that we contribute towards developing skills in the hospitality sector, for example, uh, or in the environment related to tourism? Uh, I think there are, there are a couple of things that we can we can focus on moving forward in the short term. I think more strategically, the Oxford Cambridge Arc again provides a great opportunity for the University of Northampton in the middle of that geographic zone to really um, start to punch above our weight in terms of how we deliver a teaching, research, uh, and enterprise. And I think there'll be some great opportunities that will come on the back of our involvement with the Oxford Cambridge Arc, uh, and look forward to developing those uh, in the next in the coming years as well. No, absolutely. And we've heard a lot recently from the Oxford Cambridge Arc people from Alistair Lomax and um, Bev Hindle. So, yeah, so exciting times you'll see in the future very positively. Now, considering that I'm talking to my boss's boss's boss, Nick, are there any questions <laughs> I should be asking you, especially awkward ones that, you know, afterwards the listeners will say, why didn't you ask him this or whatever? <laughs> Anything that, um, you know, Elsa, we should uh, just perhaps air quickly or not? Oh, well, there's always awkward questions, um, uh, I guess. Um, well, I mean, what, what could I, what, give me a, give me a hint. Is there no. something behind your question, sir? I'm being a bit mischievous. <laughs> I just thought it was, uh, you know, but um, we have had some, because this show is, is meant to showcase the very best of the community, right? And the university is one of its major assets, of course. But it is interesting, as you get political leaders on, uh, in, you know, when it, 
in a in a, a county that's had its challenges. You know, how, how I'm learning how to handle the questions, right? How to ask the yeah. difficult question, but yeah. in a way that doesn't cause any embarrassment, that is giving them the chance to explain their position and their perspective. So um, I don't think in the university, I can't think of anything in particular, Nick, that I would want to raise. But um, it was interesting just to say that you are my boss's boss's boss, and I just wanted the listeners <laughs> to kind of know that. But no, a very upbeat message, Nick. Thank you very much for coming mm. on the show and sharing with us those insights because you know it is um an important part of the radio station i hope the radio station is an important part of the university we are trying to get a message out there for you and the listeners to know that i think we're at about fifteen thousand individual listeners across the town each week this show seems to be doing very very well indeed i'm pleased to say and its audience is growing and the podcast standalone podcasts are also getting you know up to, upwards of about a hundred uh, hits afterwards as well so um, thank you for your support thank you for your leadership we've had a very interesting and challenging year I think it has been the case and I think we've all discovered quite a lot about ourselves and um, hopefully that the students too have had a chance to reflect on seeing how we and other organizations have adapted to difficult circumstances because if they're aspiring to be future leaders of course you know, they're going to have to, well, accept an awful lot of uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity in the working life, indeed, which you've had to face this year and seem to come through with a very positive attitude. Well, thank you very much, Adrian. It's a great show as ever. There was one bit of sensational news I must be able to impart to you and to your listeners, as long as you keep it quiet. Yes. No, I won't tell anybody. I'm sure my listeners won't either. Go on. I'm a celeb. You get him out of here next year. Are you indeed? No, I've just made that up. Sorry. <laughs> in, in, in Harlech Castle or Guruch Castle as well. Well, that would be a turn up for the book, wouldn't it? It that would be. It would be, yeah. Well, I wonder if Strictly Northampton's on next year. Maybe I could uh, put myself forward to that. What do you think? Would you enjoy that? I would go for it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So you heard it here first. Anybody <laughs> planning for these events next year, please do get in touch at uh, Nick dot petford at northampton.ac.uk if not me adrian dot price uh, at northampton.ac.uk well nick we're, we're struggling to get a really tough question for you then i know everybody's screaming at the radio what to ask you but i think uh, here's one and i hope you're ready for this so uh, are you sitting down but uh, what's your what's your favorite song and, and what would you like us to play on your behalf and why well, Adrian, I'd like you to play uh, a song by a family group called the Five Stair Steps. Uh, they're sometimes referred to as the, the forerunners of the Jackson Five. Um, they released this song in 1970 in the Rolling Stones magazine. It's in the top 500 greatest songs of all time. Um, I like it. I think that the message in the song that things are going to improve, things are going to get better, uh, is uplifting. I think it's a perfect song for these pandemic times when we're just starting to see light uh, at the end of the tunnel. Also think it has a, a Christmassy feel to it as well. Fantastic. Okay, tell us again, and uh, you'll be you're being a DJ now, Nick. So tell us the song, and we'll play straight into it. So here's the song. The song is called "Ooh Child" by Five Stair Steps. Nick, as always, great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for so much for coming on, and um, the spirit of it. Um, wish you a wonderful Christmas. Of course, I'll see you and speak to you. I'm sure before Christmas Day, but. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, great insights into a major institution in the town and the county, and of course, nationally as well. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. There are plenty more here on the podcast platform. And of course, you can always listen on uh, live on Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on NLive Radio 106.9 FM or digitally via nliveradio.com. Um, if you'd like to know more about the radio station, please do look at nliveradio.com. 
And um, we're always looking for support from the community and further afield. So if you'd like to support us, please go to nliveradio.com slash support us. So until next time, thank you very much again for listening.